Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Lord, I do pray as we talk about Holy Spirit, Lord, would we really, would we walk in intimacy with you? God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit, would we understand what it means to, to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit? Would we understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit? Would our understanding of these things be shaped by your Scripture? But I do pray that we would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as your witnesses. So for your name's sake and for your kingdom and your glory, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. Thank you for the testimonies. We just give you all the glory and the praise, and we just ask for more, Lord. Would we be faithful to use whatever sphere of influence, the gifts and abilities you've given us for your kingdom and your purposes? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, privilege to get to share with you, and I get to share on my favorite topic, which is the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm going to continue through Acts chapter 1, which is what uh, Jay shared last week. And, you know, being an, an older guy, as Jay refers to me, been around a little bit longer, but I've really been so fortunate to see the Holy Spirit do incredible things. I, mean, I really have seen the Holy Spirit heal eyes that weren't working and knees and back and just remove pain that was like going through body. We saw the Holy Spirit cure cancer at our old church several times. We've seen the Holy Spirit cast out evil in ways where it's creepy and weird and scary, but there's no denying that's what the Lord was doing. And as soon as you hear that, it feels like there's this like separation or gap. Just know I'm just a normal guy who gets grumpy and gets selfish and normal. So it's not that. It's that the Holy Spirit is who he says he is. And he's so much bigger and better than what we could imagine. And, and I don't know what your history is with Holy Spirit. I know there's there's a school of thought, and they say, well, I believe the Holy Spirit did those things, but that was just during the apostles' lifetime. Like, it ended when the apostles died. Uh, this is a school of thought called cessationism, and maybe you come from that school of thought. If you do, we're just thrilled you're here. You're welcome. You belong. Perfect. And if maybe you're one of my friends who's like, Holy Spirit, Holy, Holy Spirit party, right? Fist in the air. Can't wait. Let's do it. Let's look for it. Awesome. But your response to the person who doesn't believe the Holy Spirit is not, let's get them. No, let's just love, tenderness, kindness, respect, humility. That's our model. It's easy to get a little gung-ho. Um, I want to convince, when I was a young guy and I was just first introduced to theology, I thought it was my responsibility, my calling from the Lord to convert people who are already Christians, into believing the exact same thing as I believed on everything. And all I did was prove myself to be a jerk. Um, no conversions whatsoever, just um, broken relationships. So what I get to share on today in Acts 1 is I really want to talk about the Holy Spirit giving us power, being his witnesses. But I really want to focus, I want to like elevate our value for the Holy Spirit, one of my greatest passions is to see the church with a really high value for Holy Spirit and really high value for God's word. Not one or the other. Not just God's word, not just Holy Spirit, but both. And so I wanna talk about what I call a hierarchy of beliefs. Whether you realize it or not, all of your beliefs are in a hierarchy. You're like, no, they're not. Yes, they are. I could tell you, if I watched your life, 
I could tell you what your hierarchy is. I could say, if each of these blocks represents a different belief, right? I could say, well, in your life, the top of your hierarchy is, I don't know, we'll say family, family. Well, maybe I check someone else's life and I watch or their online banking. No, family might be right here. It appears that money and finances is number one for you. Or maybe for you, oh, like there have been seasons in my life. If this is exercise, nutrition, some people are gung-ho. Obviously, that's not me. But I've had seasons in my life where it was higher in my hierarchy. Right now, lately, it's been a little bit lower. This is kind of maybe over-exaggerating how high it is down here. But, but when I'm training for an event, I get a little bit, my wife says Nazi. We're like, I got to do it. No matter what, no breaking my rules, right? But right now, exercise is probably lower, just to be completely honest with you. But we have these different hierarchies of belief. Every action that you do in your life is the byproduct of a belief. Every single action. And these actions are the byproducts of beliefs that are actually ranked. So what I say is, is that if you think of the churches down the road, you ask this church, well, what's at the top of your hierarchy of beliefs? Well, evangelism, of course. We have to spread the gospel. That's why we're here. All right, that's awesome, the Great Commission. And then I might ask the next church, well, no, 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 we're a house of prayer. Well, that's beautiful too, remember? They came in and the temple of God was like this commercial place and Jesus was mad and I liked it when Jesus got all mad, right? He's like, no, this is a house of prayer. Okay, no, so not a house of evangelism, house of prayer. All right, that's biblical. Go to the next church. Well, what about you guys? Well, we're a house of worship. Psalms say that God inhabits the praises of his people. Well, that's beautiful. That's biblical, house of worship. I like it up top. And you got somebody else. Well, no, 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 we're, we're very liturgy. We may not come from a liturg- liturgical background, but liturgy is actually beautiful and rich and meaningful. Somebody else says, well, no, 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 we're none of those things. We're all about service and outreach. Look, Jesus came as the suffering servant. He was serving others. He walked in humility. Okay, this is beautiful. Well, which one is it? Well, let me tell you what I believe. I believe this. There's one man in Scripture who was called a man after God's own heart. Any guesses who it was? King David, right. Only one in all of Scripture called a man after God's own heart. So I started processing, well, if I look at King David's life, what does his life say is the top of his hierarchy. So it's different. I can say my family's up here and God's up here, but my actions might not reflect that. My actions are gonna be the ones that tell you the truth of what my values are. So what did David's life reflect? The top of his hierarchy, this man after God's own heart, Psalm 51, David had committed some really just like atrocious sins and he's repenting. He didn't hide his sin, he reveals it. And he says this, he says, whatever you do, don't take away your Holy Spirit or your presence. The top of his hierarchy, the presence of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. No, David had a lot. He had kingdom. I mean, he was the king, all kinds of stuff. But more than anything else, he valued the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Lord. And so in a process, what does that look like for us? How do we do that? And I don't have it all figured out, but, but I'm learning. So I'm gonna read in just a second from Acts 1, verses four through eight. Again, this is building on what Jay shared. And maybe you're familiar, but just so you know, the book of Acts is what happens right after the Gospels. The Gospels, the life of Jesus, 
death of Jesus, resurrection. Book of Acts begins, Jesus is in his resurrected state and he's telling his followers, hey, I've got a gift for you. And then he ascends. Okay, when you think about Acts and the Gospels, think about the Gospels, Jesus gave his life and in Acts, Jesus gave us his power. They're so connected, his life and then his power. And, and the gospels, he spreads seed, right, of the gospel. And then in Acts, we see the harvest of the church. See, Acts is a history book about the birth of the church, the missionary journeys of Peter and Paul, and the explosion of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read verses 4 through 8 of chapter 1. It says, uh, Thank you. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. Acts 8. My whole message is on this one verse. I'll hit a lot of scripture. I won't have slides for all of it. It's on this one verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is my main focus. This is the key verse to all of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus starts off by saying, hey, stay here. God the Father has a gift for you. Listen, this is the one who, who spoke the universe into existence. I mean, he just spoke the earth into the place where there's perfect magnetic fields, perfect atmosphere, where my water is neither going to freeze because it's so cold nor evaporate because of the heat. He just spoke it into existence. We all know somebody who gives good gifts, right? Either they're super thoughtful or maybe very generous, right? And you're pretty excited to get a gift from that person. Listen, if God the Father is giving you a gift, it's gonna be a good gift, right? It's not, not Dollar Tree, no shaming on Dollar Tree, but I mean, it's gonna be something like amazing. One who spoke the universe into existence, something good. So Jesus says this, his last words, very last words on earth. It's back to verse eight, if you don't mind, guys. Chapter one, verse eight of Acts. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. There's some beautiful sermons in liturgical churches where they talk about Jesus' last words before he died on the cross. Really rich and meaningful. But these are his last words before he ascends to the Father. He knows this. He knows this is his last just to speak directly face to face. And what does he say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. See, there's a connection. The power's so that we can be witnesses. It's for his kingdom. It's for serving. It's for loving. Uh, last Sunday, I get to share with some friends just some basic tools on how to study scripture. And one of the tools I gave is when you come to a verse you're studying scripture, it's good to ask this question. The question is this, is this passage prescriptive or descriptive? I think I might even have a slide that says that. Prescriptive means, is this like for me to apply to my life, like a prescription from a doctor? Is this for me to do 
me to live out? Is this speaking directly to me? Descriptive just means, or is this just describing something that happened in a specific place, a specific time, specific location? Because see, not all scripture is about us. Some just revealing God's workings, God's nature, his character, his plan, things that he's done throughout history. So we ask this question, this verse about Jesus saying, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Is this prescriptive? Is this for me? Or is he just describing something just for the apostles? Well, I'll say this, the New Testament like screams that this is prescriptive, this is for us. Over and over again, the scriptures are talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, uh, Paul writes this letter. And in chapter one, he says that all believers have been sealed with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, right? So if you profess Christ as your savior, you have the Holy Spirit as a deposit. But then in chapter five, he commands us, and that's what I call a pleasure command. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So sealed and filled appear to be two different things. And it's written in this tense that means keep being filled, keep being filled. It's written in the plural too, we, all of us, keep being filled over and over again. It's a beautiful command. As Jay's been sharing, the Lord's commands, he wants what's best for us. His commands have our best interests in heart. They're to protect us. They're to guard me against the consequences of sin, consequences of damaging myself, my heart, my mind, my thoughts, damaging others, my testimony. He's looking out for me. He wants what's best for me. And so we look, okay, well, Ephesians shows, okay, Holy Spirit, but what about the rest of Scripture? See, all throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit just falling on people. Acts 4, I don't have slides, I'm just gonna run through these. After they prayed, the apostles, the whole building shook. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness. Okay, so Acts 4, Holy Spirit fell again. I haven't even talked about Acts 2, Pentecost. And it shook the building, and then they spoke boldly. Acts 8, Peter and John prayed for new believers. They placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, Peter was speaking. While he was speaking, they became filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a dream of mine. One day I'm just going to be speaking. The Holy Spirit's just going to fill people. And it says they began speaking in tongues and praising God. Acts 19, Paul placed his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. So what I'm getting at is the Holy Spirit kept doing it over and over again. It shows us this is a pattern. This is something we should expect. But it also shows that there's not a formula to it. Sometimes they're laying on of hands. Sometimes Peter's just speaking. Sometimes they're laying on hands and praying. Sometimes they start prophesying. Sometimes they start speaking in tongues. Sometimes they start speaking boldly. Sometimes it says just filled with the Spirit. It's not something that we can manipulate. But we also have to look and see, well, we see the Holy Spirit falling on people even before Pentecost. Holy Spirit was in John the Baptist, even when he was in the womb, and his mother and his father. And then you see Holy Spirit working crazily through Stephen. We see, for example, Peter, right? His, his shadow, they brought out all the sick and put them in the road so that when Peter walked by, they thought well, maybe his shadow will heal him. And it says this, it says that Peter's shadow, this is Acts chapter five, and those with impure spirits, he cured, well, he didn't, but the Holy Spirit cured all of them. All were cured. All those with impure spirits, all those with sickness and illness. His shadow, Paul had handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched. 
that the Lord used to heal. What I'm getting at is that Holy Spirit did this over and over again so that we would have the realization this is what he does. This is who he is. I don't know if you know the expression cameo. Anybody recognize that word? Maybe it's something from my 80s childhood. But cameo is when like you're watching a movie or TV show and a celebrity shows up in a role of that show. This is like a small role. You know what I'm talking about? Holy Spirit was not playing like this cameo type role. Holy Spirit is God. We have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a one-time visit. The cameo role really isn't all that good, right? He didn't play a small part. Jesus said this. Maybe you've heard me share this verse. It's one of my favorites. It's in John 16. I've got a couple translations. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says this, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I mean, this is pretty disturbing. Like, what? How can this possibly be true? You know, the disciples are thinking, this is one of those times Jesus is talking in a metaphor or something. I don't know what he's saying. I still feel that sometimes when I'm reading the Bible. I'm not sure what this means. But how could it possibly be for their good? NIV says, it is for your good. Jesus says, it's for your good that I leave. I think you had one more translation, didn't you, Kenny? Maybe the NLT, and it says, it is best for you that I go away. How can this possibly be true? Jesus said it, so I know it's true because Jesus speaks truth. His truth brings life. It can only be true if Holy Spirit is who Scripture says he is. If he is the advocate, that means he's the one for you. If he is the counselor, the comforter, if he is interceding for us, Danielle mentioned Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says, Holy Spirit's interceding for us. Isn't that incredible? God's interceding for us. It moans and groans too deep for our understanding. This is the only way this can be true. You will receive power, Acts 1, to love and serve. Now, we want to make this about like a to-do list sometimes, right? I do. Anybody like lists? I love lists. To-do lists. Man, I love making lists. Thanks, Brett. Checking things off my list. It just feels good. Man, I remember we were, my wife and I were in Costa Rica and we had a young lady and she was our intern. Basically meant we paid her, we paid for her childcare, and then we trained her. It's a really good gig for her. Um, But we saw her as a really great kingdom investment. And she is and was a great kingdom investment. And she would tell us about what was happening in the town so we would know who needs encouragement. Who needs us to come and share a word from Scripture? Who needs a couple bags of groceries? Well, this sweet friend would always ask us this question like, I just want you to make me a list, Adam or Kelly. Make me a list. Tell me what it is I can do and can't do. Right? You ever had that thought? And part of it was like, I just don't want to offend God. Well, there's a really beautiful nature thing about we've got to see God in his holiness. We don't want to offend God. But she's missing that the Lord just wants this like deep, meaningful intimacy. In John 6, these people come and they ask Jesus, they're like, what must we do to the works God requires? You know, you're watching, you're like, 
man, I want to know. Give me the list. Just, just believe. Believe the truth about Jesus. Believe the truth about Holy Spirit, about God the Father. Put that right here at the top. And I'm not saying that I've mastered it. I have not. I'm working. But it is a battle of taking every thought captive. It is a battle of guarding our thoughts. It is a spiritual battle. But the truth is that if we want to if you want to grasp like what it really means, that intimacy, instead of like, just give me that list of to-dos and don'ts, then think about Exodus 20, Exodus 34, and I didn't put it in my slides. It's where it says that God is jealous for us. I mean, when I just hear that, it rattles me and shakes me. He's jealous for you. But remember, because he's perfectly pure and holy, there's nothing that's sinful or evil or impure in this jealousy. But it's this passionate longing for you. It's like this scandalous, aggressive love for you, wanting closeness, intimacy, which is what the Holy Spirit is for us. So we walk in power. Now, I know that when we hear these talks about the Holy Spirit, you know, we always have to come back to the issue of like, but wait a minute. What about those times where, man, I prayed passionately, I believed, I had faith, and the Holy Spirit didn't do what I wanted him to do? Anybody ever experienced that? Well, and I've experienced that quite a bit. And, um, you know, you hear different teachings and different answers on this. Sometimes they say, well, there's a, there's a, for people to say, well, there's a sin issue. And if you look at Scripture, you just pick like some isolated passages, like in John 5 and 1 Corinthians 11, this person has this sickness because of a sin issue. Okay, well, maybe it's a sin issue. But then you see the disciples with Jesus saying, hey, teacher, uh, this, this blind man, who sinned? Did he sin or his parents sin? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. What about them sinning? They didn't sin, causing this. Well, then we want to say, well, this just has to do with a faith issue. Well, we'll be careful with that too because you think about the man who's like, hey, Jesus, can you, can you cast this evil spirit out of my child? And Jesus is like, can I? Of course I can. Oh, you little faith. He's like, well, help my belief. He didn't have any belief. Jesus does it. The widow leaving Nain with her son who's dead, she didn't ask for anything. She doesn't have any faith. Jesus just does it. He resurrects him. When Peter and John are, are walking into the temple in Acts 3 and there's a, a lame beggar calling out for money and Peter's like, hey, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I have. Get up and walk. This guy didn't have faith. He's not having faith for a healing. So what I'm saying is it's not all about the faith and sometimes we do that putting shame and guilt. Yeah, let's fan the flame of faith, absolutely. But I'm saying there's a mystery to it and I don't have it all figured out and I don't say it like flippantly and I know I personally know grief, I know depression, I know disappointment. Worked in the church long enough to know betrayal and hurt. You know, we have suffered loss, we've had miscarriage, we've had stillborn, we've had a child that lived three and a half days. I've worked in a church, I think, I don't know, a long time, we'll just say. We know hurt, we know loss. So I'm not passing over grief, but I'll say this is that I know the Holy Spirit is comforter. When I was in the hospital and we were just 
crying out to God. My wife is pregnant with our, our triplets. And I'm asking the Lord, please, please, I'm just begging. And this is one of those times in my life, because you know, sometimes you're like, I think the Lord's saying, he might be saying, one of those times where I heard his voice so clearly, you know, it was an audible voice, but I heard him say, I can be trusted. And there's a word that I've carried in my heart and in my mind for 13 years now, 13 years and a few days as my daughter turned 13, um, not too long ago. I know him as a comforter. I know him as a counselor. I know him as an advocate. And we live in a culture, man, that we treat suffering like it's evil and has to be avoided at all costs. And I don't want to suffer, but I tell you what, if we have a, if we had a, perspective like that, maybe as you see through scripture and other parts of the world, we see that suffering is actually like one of the most transformative tools in our lives. Our personal transformation is more important than our comfort. I don't want to suffer, but I tell you, it's a suffering that's like this forging, refining in our lives. It's a sharpening, it's a strengthening. It's excruciating. But if we want to become mature and complete in Christ, one, we have to have discipline. We've got to seek him on our own, renewing our minds, know how to feed ourselves spiritually, how to seek him and serve him. But two, we've got to walk through what I call dark nights of the soul. I don't want those, but they're necessary for us to be mature and complete, to conform more and more into the image of Christ. Last part here of Acts 1, he says, receive power that you might be my witnesses. As believers, if you profess Christ as your Savior, we get to participate. We get to be part of it. We're part of the family. We get to be witnesses. And, and this being witnesses, it's not about programs. It's about people. It's a way of life. And what I love about Midtown, and I'm just still the new guy, is that they live this out. I see it when I spend time with the staff. And I, to be honest, I've... As I've come back from the mission field and I'm still processing certain trauma and triggers and healing in my mind, I realize I'm not as intentional about living missionally as I want to be and as I was at one time. I'm working on that and the Lord's not shaming me or he's lovingly inviting me to more, but it's, it's an intentionality. It's valuing building kingdom more than building church. There's a big difference, and I missed that for decades. I wanted just to build programs. If you want to see a church that's missional, look for a church that's putting money and resources in other organizations, organizations that have nothing to do with that church. That's a church that's being witnesses, like it says in Acts 1.8. Looking for a church that's investing in people rather than in programs. And uh, I've got plenty of stories of where I did this wrong, but loving people where they are. And so I want to invite us, I invite us all to step into this, just raising our value for the Holy Spirit, realizing that we're given the Holy Spirit so that we can do his work, we can be agents of the kingdom to serve, to encourage, to give hope, to speak life. Now, there have been times where the Lord's spoken to me and I've been afraid to say it or I've said it and someone's told me that has nothing to do with me. And there's times where like, how'd you know? 
But it's always to give encouragement, to give comfort, to give counsel. It's never to give shame and conviction. So when I process, like, okay, so Lord's invited me to walk in the Holy Spirit. It's given me power. It invites us to be a witness. This is for all of us. So give me like a to-do list of how do I do that, right? Again, I go back to my to-do list. Well, it's going to be about seeking him, but the next part of Acts actually gives the answer. You see, the apostles, an apostle was someone who, who had been with Jesus in his life, but they saw the risen Lord after he was resurrected, and they received a direct commission from him. That's what an apostle is, a biblical apostle. They've seen the risen Lord, received a direct commission from him. And so Judas was gone because he betrayed Jesus. He's taken his own life. And they're like, well, we've got to replace him. Well, they said, well, we've got these two guys. Which one of them? Well, they said, well, he's got to be somebody who's been with Jesus from the time of John the Baptist all the way to his resurrected state. So the main primary qualification is you have to spend a lot of time with Jesus. Okay, this is good advice. If I want to walk in power, if I want to be an effective witness, I've got to spend a lot of time with Jesus. But then it says something really interesting. So they've got these guys, and they're saying, okay, they're praying, Lord, that's what it says. Lord, you know everyone's heart. They've got these two candidates. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over the apostolic ministry. Did you see the, like, qualifying characteristic. I have a real high value for education and training. It was like, you know, some people are like skilled at lots of things. My like skill set's pretty limited, but real high value for learning and education. It's not what it says they picked Judas's replacement upon. They don't mention that. It says, you know everyone's heart. So in order for us to walk in the power and be effective witnesses for the kingdom, we've got to guard our hearts have hearts that are pure and loving. I mean, I know from experience, like seeds of ugly things, man, they grow really quickly in here. I have to quickly remove seeds of bitterness and selfishness and have to repent because, man, that stuff pops up. But I've got to be cultivating thoughts that honoring the Lord, renewing my mind, knowing his word, guarding my heart, guarding my motives, protecting from critical thoughts, looking for ways to elevate others looking to know the character and nature of God. See, if I really want to like activate hearing from God, then I've got to know his word so I can know his character and his nature. That way when he speaks, and sometimes it feels as light as like a little feather on my arm, I'm like, well, that reflects his character. That reflects what I know to be true about the nature of Jesus. And so we're invited into this. And so I'm, I'm wrapping up with this. I'm going to call the band on up. Um, Paul in the New Testament in Philippians, he says this. He's like, I just count, count it all worthless compared to knowing Jesus. I just want more of Jesus. Now, if you put Paul's letters chronologically, Philippians was written after 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is where he talks about like he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten with rods, he was in danger of thieves and bandits. He was bitten by a snake. I mean, like crazy things. He's like, I just want more of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? He knew he, he had tasted. And then at the end of his life, so remember Jesus' last words on earth when he knew it was, you will receive the Spirit. When you receive the Spirit, you'll get power and you'll be my witnesses. Paul's last words, he writes this letter to a guy named Timothy. 
And he says this, remember the gift that was given to you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame that gift. So what we're gonna do as the band leads us in one more song is we're gonna offer prayer just to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. And maybe you have heard this lie like, well, that's not me. I can't do that. I don't do that. I don't, I don't hear from the Lord. My prayers don't heal anyone. And I just say, well, who told you that? Whose voice is that? Maybe it's your voice. Maybe it's someone else's voice. That's not the Lord's voice. It's not what Acts 1.8 tells us. So we're going to pray. If you'd like prayer, just the Holy Spirit might be fan into flame in your heart. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up and, and our, our elders and pastors. But I also want to invite you to receive prayer for one other thing. A couple weeks ago, I felt like the Lord was saying something to me and I didn't actually act on it. Um, wasn't the first time. But Jay was sitting right here and he's like, hey man, you got anything? And, uh, you know, I, I like to share, but I also really like just sitting and listening. I mean, I love it. A lot of good stuff. I mean, let's eat it up. But I felt like the Lord did tell me something and I didn't actually act on it. And so Jay came up and he was sharing. He's praying for people and I'm standing there and I took a couple of steps before I decided, okay, if Jay looks at me, I'm going to walk up on stage. I'm going to say it. But he didn't look at me and I felt like I was supposed to and then I'm kicking myself. Oh, I forgot one part. So when Jay was walking up the stage, Jay turned around and looked at me and said, what? I'm like, whoa, what was that? I asked him after, like, Jay, why'd you say that? He's like, well, I heard you call out. I was like, I didn't say anything. It's like the Holy Spirit was telling Jay that I was supposed to say something, but I didn't say it. And I just felt this overwhelming conviction to pray for this. If you are someone who you find yourself rehearsing your failures, your sins, and your hurts over and over again in your mind, you're just repeating your pains repeating things that bring you shame in your mind. We just want to invite you to come and receive prayer because that is not what the Lord desires for you. He desires you to walk in freedom. One of the beautiful verses that was found in Paul's letters to Corinthians, he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that we've been set free. We're invited to walk in freedom. I don't have all that figured out. Sometimes I like to go back to my chains and my lists. We're invited to walk in freedom. So if you'd like prayer, I'm going to get the prayer team to come on up and our, our elders. If you'd like prayer, we would love to pray for you just for, if you want a fanning of the flame of the Holy Spirit in your life, or if you're one of those people, and that was me. I lived so much of my Christian life under the guise of guilt management. Not that's what I'm supposed to do. You're just repeating and rehearsing. That's not the Lord's voice. It's not what he wants for you. So if you like prayer, it would be our privilege to pray for you. There's nothing embarrassing or shameful about receiving prayer.